0: First John 2. Um, it's going to be kind of the second part of, of, of a sermon series we're doing. Adam will come in next week and he'll take uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4. When he showed it to me, he, this is a long, this is a big swab of scripture. Don't worry. Last week we were very systematic. We hit each verse. This week will be a little more. Uh, it'll flow a little, a little more quickly through. But I want to read the verses that we're going to be looking at today, and we'll have a word of prayer. First John, uh, 1 John uh, 1 John two, three says this: This is how we know that we know Him, if we keep His commands. The one who says I have not, I have come to know Him, and yet does not keep His commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word truly is uh, truly in uh, truly in him. The love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is this: you have heard. Uh, you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him. And in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother and sister is in the darkness, walks, uh, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing you, little children... Uh, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, I am writing you fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing you young men uh, because you have conquered the e- evil one i have I have written you children because you have the fa- you have come to know the Father. I have written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written you young men because you are strong god 's word remains in you, and the young and have con- and you have conquered the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Or if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything is in for everything in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, and the pride of one's possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lusts are passing away. But one. But the one who does the will of the Father remains forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By by this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for they have, for they uh, belong to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that. It might be made clear none of them belong to us. But if you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth, I have not written you because uh, you don't know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie comes from truth. uh, Who is the liar if the one uh, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ the one who is antichrist the one who denies the father and the son no one denies the son has the father he who confesses the son has the father as well what you have heard from the beginning is you uh, is to remain in you if you have heard from the beginning remains in you then you will remain in the son and in the father that is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. I have written these things that, uh, to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things, and, that it, and is true and is not a lie, just as he has taught you, remain in him. Father, help us to remain in you. Help us to understand this text just a little bit more so that we may be anchored to your love. Lord, be with us as, as, as I preach. Lord, hide me behind the cross. Lord, let people only see Christ and not me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You ever want to quit something? Maybe some of you, as I was going through that text and we kept droning on and on and on, you might have said, man, this is getting to be a long text. Get to your point, Robbie. Have you ever wanted to quit something? I can remember each, each summer as I played different sports. The summer was kind of a time that I would start to relax a little bit. And I would dread as I was coming into the new year, uh, in high school, what kind, what sports I would be playing. I'd start to dread the things like getting in shape. I'd start to dread, um, I'd start to dread, uh, those things, uh, lifting weights and all those things that I knew would be tough. To get, do, to get going again. As some of you know, earlier this year I graduated from seminary. Usually it takes somebody about two or three years to graduate from seminary. Me, it took about seven. It was a slow path. It was a very slow road. And every year I can remember at, there was always a point in the semester where I'd be, I want to quit, Hope. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm not going to do this full time. And where she would have to comfort me or someone else would have to comfort me and, and, and I would somehow make it out of that semester and then I would go to that screen and I'd say, yeah, let me take another class. Let me take another class. About 84 hours worth of class while working a full-time job and having a family. There were times I wanted to quit. When I look back at my, at my transcript, I, I, I look back and I see a few semesters where it was close. I remember the feelings. And I, in, in between, between a supportive family and between just a mindset that people were giving me to, to just take one step at a time, I was able to pass. You ever want to quit? What keeps you in it? What keeps you anchored? What keeps you from going to the next thing or going somewhere else. I'm reminded of that scene in the movie Twister, kind of an old school movie. When it came out, it was like the big blockbuster after Jurassic Park. So I, I'm, I, I think I'm dating myself here. But Twister was the cinematic masterpiece. It was in the new... Dolby surround sound. It was really, really something else. Now, I remember one scene in Twister toward the end of the movie. They get to this pipe and this pipe sticking out of the ground and they have to make a, they have to make a, uh, a call there. They're in this little shed with this pipe, this little irrigation pipe or big irrigation pipe sticking out of the ground. So the choice that the guy makes is he wraps him and the other person around in, uh, this leather, uh, strap and they strap themselves to the pipe knowing that that shed is not going to give them any protection from the F5 tornado outside. They stayed tethered. They stayed safe. They were actually able to, in in, in pure Hollywood form, see the inside of a tornado. It was a pretty awesome scene. But sometimes when we get into this church stuff, when we get into someone speaking on a stage... When we get to other people's opinions about what God's Word says, when we get to other people's idea of who God is, enlightenment, all these other things, there's something that needs to keep us tethered. There's something that's going to keep us from going astray. Like we said in the first passage, Paul, I mean, Paul, John is attacking people who are trying to lead others, lead the church, lead Christians astray. We talked about the Gnostics and their higher learning, their higher, more practical thing, their, 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 their knowledge from beyond that doesn't come from the apostles teaching, doesn't come from God's word. John is combating that. So when we, when we talk about, when we talk about staying tethered, when we talk about staying even, when we talk about following what God wants us to follow, what keeps us tethered? There's, four, there's five things in this passage, and we'll go through them pretty quickly, on things that will keep us tethered to God. Things that will keep us anchored to God. The first thing we see in this passage is obedience to God's commands. Now, I, I, as I read the passage, and even I've told you my struggle as a young man, as I read... 1 John, 1 John to me was a tough book to read because 1 first, first John was very black and white. You either are or you aren't. You're either following Jesus or you're not. You're either walking in darkness or you're not. And for me, I could see all the ways that I've fallen short and I said, I don't know which one I am. Obviously, I, I, I'm not totally walking in the light. Obviously, I'm not totally walking in the dark. I, wa- I want to say this when we talk about these points here. It's more about an attitude than it is about a list of do's and don'ts. It's more about, it's more about our disposition to God and, and, and how we think about these things rather than do we keep it to the letter of the law. So when I say obedience to God's commands, John's pretty clear there. If you walk in light, you're in light. If you walk in darkness, you're in darkness. But it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a habitual, it's an attitude, it's what guides you. Obedience to God's command. If you've ever heard any teachings from Jesus Christ, there's these teachings where he says, uh, and some of them he says, let those who have ears hear these things. In some teaching he says, those who hear my words and do my words. God wants us to hear his word. But he also wants us to obey his word. Like I said, we already talked about it last week in the, in the first one. We're not going to be perfect. God wants us to, to have a walk that's consistent with the person of Jesus Christ. Look there at verse 6. It says this. It says, um, um, The one who, who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Now nobody here is walking on water, especially yours truly up here, not walking on water. But as I see my as as I try to see my life, as I try to do the right thing, as I try to uh, to follow after what he, he has, does his commands mean anything to me? Does his commands mean anything to you? Are you trying? Are you working? Are you trying to do what God calls you to do? The beautiful thing is, it's not about our works, it's about our attitude, and it's about the blood of Jesus that we talked about last time, that he has cleansed us, and that when we do mess up, he's already forgiven us if we have a faith relationship with him. As we walk in righteousness, we are completing God's word of love, God's work of love. Look at what verse 5 says. It says, but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. We do gestures of love. I try, I, I've not been accused of being the rom- most romantic person in the world. But when we do gestures of love, when, we try to, when, I, when I try to do something for my wife, and she reciprocates that to me. Man, something beautiful happens in me. Not only did I make this effort, but she gave it back to me. Not on a romantic level, but I think that the principle is there with God. As we work towards Him, as we're loving, as we're keeping His commands, as we're saying, hey God, what you want for me is best. We start to see that relationship with him go a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. I love, a few weeks ago when Kobe came and preached, he talked about hell being the, uh, let, uh, being the thing that God let you have your own way. When you said no, 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 no to him, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an existence for eternity without me. And, and I love that, but when he talks about heaven and he talks about being with God, when we, when we love others, we are, we're experiencing choosing God on earth. We experience heaven on earth. So we got obedience to God's command. I kind of led into that there. A love for others, a love for others. We are surrounded by people all the time. Do you try to love them? As I was out for Halloween this week, my, my block does a uh, big block party. And, uh, I mean, it was a lot of people that were out there surrounded by people and sometimes I I feel like as I'm walking past and I look and I and I can remember some scripture it's like all these people I pray that I can love these folks the people on the interstate they cut you off the person that cuts you in line at McDonald's oh I hate that but do we love them a love for others. We're surrounded by people all the time. We're in, and we're surrounded by people we can love all the time. Look at verse 10. It says, um, it says there, uh, The one who loves his brother and sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. It's never wrong to love someone. It's never wrong to serve someone. When Adam was talking about the mission trip and his his vision for that, it's, I, and when, when, when kind of we put it on paper, it was about loving others. It's never wrong to love others. That's, you, can't, you can't be against that. But also it gives us the context of what God's helping us to look for there, about seeing in the light, about when, that, when, we, when we come together, when it's together, we start to see a little more clearly what God has in there. Remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. We could see just a little bit more clearly. To hate our brothers and sisters is to walk in darkness. Once again, I'm telling you, John is combating these false teachers, and these false teachers were obviously not loving others because they weren't as enlightened as them. They didn't know as much as them. They didn't have this second anointing like they had. And they were walking in darkness. They were never going to get what God had for them. They were never going to get God, because they didn't love others. It's not complex what we're saying here. Obey God's commands. Love for others. It's about an attitude, not just about do's and don'ts. <clears throat> It's not, it's not hard. When we talk about the contrast to what the false teachers were saying, that you needed, this, needed to grasp this new normal, this new great thing, this enlightenment, Christianity just isn't that complex. Yes, God is, he can blow your mind sometimes. Practical Christianity is not that complex. We believe in him who sent his son. We repent, we believe and we live a life that's connected to him. This is just not the simplicity of the gospel. Now, go ahead for me to explain the forgiveness of sins, then we get very complex. But just to trust that God's forgiven us because of his son's work on the cross. It's not complex. Third thing we see, so we saw an obedience to God's command. We saw a love for others. Thirdly, we see a steady growth. You see this... This passage, these three verses in the middle of, second, uh, of 1 John 2, it just really, it's hard to make sense of where they even fit in this. I think that John was trying to show that there were all kinds of people in the church at Ephesus who he was writing to that were, that were in all kinds of walks of life. My friend Alex got his first Bible this morning, right? He's a new believer. He's come to know Jesus Christ. And it's changed his life. Trust me, talk to him. Great guy. I talked earlier about, about walking through schooling. I don't have a lot of wisdom when it comes to, uh, to life issues. I'm still growing up. I'm still a very young man. God's working in my life. I'm at, a, I'm at a different step, but that doesn't mean I'm any better or worse than anyone else. When I look at some, some of the older folks here, the wisdom that you guys have... Is, is so invaluable to people like me, and I know Adam, because we've talked about it before. Thank you. But there's always a steady growth. It's always getting a little better each day, walking a little more closely to him, turning away from our sins and turning towards him. We're at different stages, stages sometimes in this walk, but we all walk by faith alone. No one is better than the other. It just takes faith in each and every one of our lives. So we got obedience to God's commands, a love for the others, a steady, uh, a steady growth, a rejection of worldliness. A rejection of worldliness. Now this is where this passage, you know, as we, as we study it, once again, John, very, very, very confrontational here. A rejection of worldliness. The world is not inherently bad, as the Gnostics were teaching The world is not bad. Uh, There's nothing, uh, sometimes, man, it's nice to go out and get a nice steak dinner. Oh, I love a nice steak dinner. Or I like like a nice uh, redfish, man, and I I could eat that all night. Very good, very good stuff. The world is not bad. Some things and luxuries like that are not inherently bad. Wanting a new car, a nice car, wanting nice things, nothing wrong with that. But when, when worldliness takes root in your life is when it starts to disrupt you from what God has for you. When it starts to disrupt you away from who God is, starts to take your attention away from where he's bringing you. Into what, uh, into other things. I love this uh, definition by 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 Wordsby. He says a practical de- definition of worldliness is anything in a Christian's life that causes him to lose his enjoyment of the Father's love or his desire to do the Father's will. I'm gonna read that again. Anything in a Christian's life that causes him to lose his enjoyment of the Father's love. Or his desire to do the Father's will. I'm reminded of that verse in, in Revelations. Where it talks about to, to one of the churches and he says, You have lost your first love. You've left your first love. It's not there anymore. Because worldliness had crept into that church. There's nothing wrong with uh, enjoying a football game. There's nothing wrong with taking a lazy day. There's nothing wrong inherently with, with any of those things. But when it starts to get us off of what God wants for us, enjoying Him and doing His will, then there is something wrong with that. And as I say that, uh, you know, I, as I say that, I can think in my own life as things have, have gotten in the way of my enjoyment of the Father's love and my desire to do His will. I say that to say, as we walk the Christian life, there are many times where we're gonna to start to veer off course. That's why we're here at church. Because hopefully God gets us back on course. A rejection of worldliness. So we got an obedience to God's command, a love for others, a steady growth, a rejection of worldliness, and lastly, a, uh, a continuance, a continuance of the race. I said, I asked earlier, what keeps your head in it? What keeps you going? I can remember running long distance. I ran the two-mile, and uh, it was such a mental battle for me. I don't know if there's any runners in here. I know Luke, he's on a mission trip. He's a runner. And it was such a mental battle that it was one step, one step, one step, one step, one step at a time. And it would pace my breathing, but I would just continue to just think about that one step, one step, one step, one step at a time. It's a struggle to continue the race. As we see here in, um, in this passage, he talks about this word antichrists or antichrist. Um, you know, a lot of you may, be, may watch the History Channel and watch the, the Nostradamus predicts or something like that, and they're always talking about the Antichrist, this actual person who's going to come and going to deceive everyone in the world. They, they go into Revelation and they say, this is what the Antichrist and the false and all this stuff like this. John said the Antichrist is here. When we see this, it's just people who are taking our attention off of Jesus Christ. Maybe putting it on themselves. Maybe trying to get rich from it. Paul warns about people who try to get rich from, uh, by taking advantage of people. They're all out there. Nothing has changed from the first, uh, from the early church to now. There are people that want to get rich. There are people that want to look nice. There are people that want to, that want fame that comes from being in front of people or influencing people. But we can 't let them take us off the race. This is not the end times. This is in the Church of Ephesus. there were antichrists who came to deceive look as as it continues on there you, uh, you have a, you have the holy Spirit in god 's word there's no more anointing that you need it says there in verse twenty four What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. What you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Uh, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father and His promise that He has, uh, that He Himself has made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning uh, concerning those things, those who are trying to deceive you. As you for uh, as for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you. Him being Jesus, Him being God, and you don't need to teach, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as he has uh, taught you, remain in him. We talked about these things. You have the Holy Spirit. When you become born again, when you have repented and believed in him, God gives you his Holy Spirit. We have God's word. He talked about the teachings, what I've given you. First John was writing this in a letter. A lot of what they were teaching in their early church was the teachings of, of the, of the, of the apostles. The twelve, the twelve men plus, uh, Paul. They were teaching these, these things, and we've compiled this into the Bible. We've got God's Word. We've got the Holy Spirit. There's no more anointing that we need. And each of those things have been given to us from the very beginning of when we, when we, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We already have the Bible. Nothing more you need. I'm going to keep going back to those false teachers that said you needed more. There's nothing more you need. All you need to do is stay the course. Stay the course. We can rest on him who is our rock. I want to, I want to read something to you. Give me one second. As we end, I want to read, I want to read something to you. When we talk about being tethered, when we talk about being anchored, it's about being anchored in Him. We see it here. I I, I love this song, and I'm going to end with this before I pray. This song talks about being anchored in God. It says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let me read through these verses. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. which keeping you tethered? which keeping you anchored? I pray it's about being obedient to God. I pray it's loving others. I pray it's growing I pray it's remaining in him. His oath, is covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. What's keeping you in it? As we end today, I, I, I pray that as, as you look at yourself, As you look at yourself in light of God's Word, what's your attitude? Where are you at? If you haven't come to know Jesus as your Savior, what's keeping you back? He's given you everything you need to remain in Him. I pray, I urge you to remain in Him. Let's pray.